We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Our speaker today is the senior pastor, Tom Nelson. In uh, chapter 1 and verse 40 through 45, let me tell you what this is about. Stay with me here. If you've been around here enough, you know that my, one of my great joys is reading church history. Uh, you can always see the hand of God by looking backward and seeing what God has done. And uh, I'm, I've always, I've read a couple of dozen of them, and I just am always fascinated at the story of our people, of your brothers and sisters, of what they've been through. And um, w- without exception, when they begin, when a guy begins a church history uh, study, he'll always have the introductory chapter as to why the church would begin in the most ignominious and lowly of surroundings of a, um, a convicted man's death's tomb. That's as bad as you can start right there. And yet by the fourth century, it was the official religion of the Roman Empire and has touched every continent on planet Earth that it has been the mustard seed, smallest of all the seeds in the garden. But when it is fully grown, it is the largest and the birds of the air come and make their nest in its branches. And I'm always amazed at it. And they'll always talk about, in every church history book, why the church spread so quickly. And the leading answer is usually among a number of answers is because of the inclusiveness of the church. That it wasn't like a Greek mystery religion that were common at the time, which was like being a Mason. All right, don't email me. To where you couldn't know the inside information unless you joined. They kept it secret. That this was go tell it on the mountains. That this was Jerusalem, Judea, the outermost parts of the earth. You'll be my witnesses of a historical event that took place, not of a set of rules, are a, uh, uh, a religious mystic practice, but it's of an event where God reconnected with man by himself doing something that you could have videoed. You can see it happen. And so the inclusiveness of the faith, though, that there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor freeman, male nor female, that they are all one in Christ Jesus, and that there is no seating chart at the church. There are no priests and laity, that there is a a oneness, and they celebrate at the end of their services in the early church, as we will this morning, uh, communion that is a love feast where everyone comes together for a family meal, and then you thank the host, which is God, who gave himself to become the, the main course. And so it is the inclusiveness that go therefore and make disciples of all nations, That's fascinating that anyone can become a child of God just receiving through nothing he has done or she has done, just the touch of God. And so it's not merely wide, whosoever will, but it's deep. If it's everybody, then it's anybody. It is a trustworthy statement, Paul said, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners among whom I am chief. And then he said, uh, for this reason, that in me as foremost, that I might become an example of God's perfect patience to those who would believe in him for eternal life. Meaning, in me as foremost, no one out there anywhere on planet earth can ever say, I am beyond the grace of God. Or he can save everybody, but he can't save me. First Timothy chapter one, if he saved me, he can save anyone. And so one of the accusations against Christ, I don't know if you know it, but in the three years of his ministry, he was accused seven times of something. And every time he was accused of this, they doubted that he was the son of God. You know what the accusation was? The company he kept with Mary Magdalene and tax gatherers and Samaritans and the lowly, how can you, how can this be when you reach so deep? And how can you have a zealot 
a tax gatherer and uh, all of these fellows that are part of your inner band. And so people had a problem with that. How many times in your Christian life have you been accused by onlookers to your life as to the invalidity of your faith because your passion for the lowly got misconstrued as moral compromise? I don't know if that's ever happened to me in my entire life, that anyone has seen me with lowly people and doubted my sincerity. It happened to Jesus seven times and we only have 52 days of his ministry. Think about that, that's once a week that somebody challenged him. And so this is one of the most, oh, there's something about you know the Christmas miracle being in a manger for all that we have never gotten over, the great love of God. And so this is what, this is the pearl that Mark is stringing. Like I've said before, Mark does not go into great lengths. He writes short and to the point for pragmatic Romans and his gospel is a string of pearls. It's an easy gospel to preach instantly because you can read a text and then you just expand on it through elsewhere in scripture. But he told you in what we looked at last week in verse 37, everyone is looking for you. 38, let's go to the towns nearby. Peter said everyone, meaning my hometown. Jesus said everyone that we're going everywhere outside of your hometown. Your everyone isn't as big as my everyone. And then in verse 38, that's why I came out for. That's why I'm here, is to reach into the whole of man. And so this is the pearl. Are you with me? Everyone. John, or Paul, who's writing this? Mark. COVID, you know. Yeah. I just want you to be with me this, this Friday and listen to what, oh, it's Sunday, that's right. And so what he's going to do in verse 40 and following is he's going to say, do you really know what I mean by everybody? You may not know what I mean when I say everybody. In verse 40, and a, what's your word? A leper. This is a pitiful request from a pitiful fellow. A leper, the book of Luke written by a doctor expands on this. It says he is white with leprosy. It's in its final stage. He has not had a human touch since he can remember. The word leprosy in Hebrew is the same word as the Hebrew word to strike. And that's why it is, through the Bible, it is a picture of sin. Uh, Many of you have never seen a leper. I have seen a leper. I spoke at the only, uh, we got something here, it's a leper. I, it's called Hansen's disease now, but there, is, there was one leper colony in the continental United States in Carville, Louisiana, and I spoke at it years ago. And you are held back when you approach. Leprosy, just like sin, is incurable. You can try to arrest it, but you can't cure it. Uh, it is progressive. You can't stop it completely. It is repulsive. You're drawn back. Your fingers become necrotic, they fall off, you go blind. The nasal septum eats away and your nose goes back into your head. You lose your sense of touch, you get ulcers in your intestinal tract, they rupture, you die of blood poisoning. You die by inches. It debilitates you, Uh, it endangers everyone around you. You get it by exposed personal contact. Uh, It spreads and it kills. Just like sin, once you get it, you die by inches. And it alienates you. Uh, You are outside the community of Israel. You are outside the temple or the tabernacle. You don't, you ever seen the movie Ben-Hur? 
Yeah, they, you're outside and they will bring you food and you are alone. It is just like sin does. And so this man is the loneliest fellow. And it's interesting in verse 40, there are four things, four verbs that come at you. That number one, it says he came to Jesus. Up till now, people are bringing people to Christ. Question, why did nobody bring this guy? Nobody wants to talk to him. Nobody wants to touch him. Uh, quite often they would regard it as often they did for whose sins was he made blind? His or another's. That this was Job. Uh, in verse 40, not just that he came, but he came beseeching. He is the only afflicted person Christ heals up till now that he has had to beg because uh, he can't imagine anyone touching him or caring about him. And so his thought was, so why should you? Question, can we often do this where our treatment by people we impute to God? The girl who has been abused is now afraid to come to God because he's a male the, the person who's been abused in his family is afraid to come into the body of Christ because they have been done so wrong. And so we take what humans have done to us and we place it to the account of God. And so I can't imagine you caring about me because nobody cares about me. Also, he is falling on his knees. He doesn't draw too close you know why? The law says you can't touch anyone. You carry a cloth over your mustache and you cry out unclean and people draw back from you. Quite often in the book by Alfred, or Alfred Edersheim on the life and times of Jesus the Messiah, I bet he spends 20 pages on Israel's view of the leper. And quite often the Pharisees would throw things at you to keep you at a distance. And so he falls on his knees simply because he can't touch anyone. Uh, you can come to Christ, but you can't come too close. And he makes a request. If you are willing, you can make me clean, which simply means it's not a question of your power. You can do this but you may not be willing. No one else cares if I live. You may not care either. And so am I at a place that even God can't reach? And so if you're willing, you can make me clean. If you put this miracle, and it's mentioned in Matthew and Mark and in Luke, if you put it in the chronological flow of things, Matthew puts it as the first miracle in Matthew 8 after Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. That as soon as the Sermon on the Mount was over and he came down, that this leper broke through the crowd. One has said that this of all the people Jesus heals is the only confessor. He knows something that nobody else knows. Matthew says he addresses Christ. He says, Lord, if you are willing, you can do this. You remember Naaman the Syrian? And he came to the king of Israel, Naaman did, with a letter from the Syrian king. This is my chief guy. Could you heal him? And the Jewish king said, quote, am I God? He's seeking a quarrel with me. He knows I can't heal the leper. Nobody can heal the leper. And in the Old Testament, you don't see lepers healed. Up until now, you don't see a leper healed. The only leper that you see healed is Naaman, who is the ultimate outer limits of God's grace. He is a Syrian general that by him, God destroyed Ahab. It's been said that 
you remember when Ahab got hit by an arrow, hit him in the joint of the armor? Jewish tradition said Naaman shot it. And so this is the chief of sinners that comes. And so this, uh, I think it was Lewis Johnson who said this may have been the greatest of all theologians at the time of Christ. Question, can pain deepen your knowledge of God? Yes, it can. And so, well, let me just stop right here and see what John, uh, what, who wrote this? Mark. What Mark wants you to see. Uh, many of us have met people like this. That you thought, can God even heal him? Can he, can he heal her? It's one thing for God to save this guy, but someone who has hit the bottom and they have hit the bottom, not because of circumstance, that they have hit the bottom uh, because of choices they made that alienated them from family, loved ones, life, marriage, mate, kids, property, that they hit the bottom. I've got three guys that have been through my young guns uh, that were doing time, hard time. And so this can happen, that somebody has gone to the bottom and you wonder, can God save that guy? And that guy wonders, can God save me? I remember one time I did a service over at the jail, at Denton Jail. It was an Easter service. And I had a musician that was with me. His name was Ken Barnett. And he was playing the guitar and leading in music. And they had all the guys down front, the girls over here, the guys over here, everybody dressed in orange, okay? And I got up, and before I did, Kenneth was leading in music. And I think he forgot where he was. Musicians can do that, all right? And he gets up, and he goes, Sing, hey, happy Easter. How many of y'all are, who's glad they're here? <laughs> and there's this, it's almost, it was like a Mel Brooks movie. You hear this big, no! <laughs> I said, Kenneth, we're in jail. How many are glad you're here? <laughs> no. I'm not, I tell you this story and I'm not speaking out of turn because she writes it in her book. Y'all know who June Hunt is? Okay. She is the daughter of the richest man in the world, of H.L. Hunt. And H.L. Hunt was not merely an adulterer. He was a, he was a bigamist. He had different families operating unbeknownst. One in Dallas, one in Oklahoma. And June was the child of the other woman in Oklahoma. And she said that it covered her mother with shame. Her mother was sincerely wrong in what she did of make, giving, having something for the children. And so she remained the other woman. And June said that uh, her mother would take the children to church, but the mother would not go in because she knew that people could know who she was. And so she would take the girls because they might not put two and two. But June told me that her mother would just stand outside and wish that she could come. She was a leper. You ever watch during Christmas season, they always put on Andy Griffiths? Does anybody watch Andy Griffith? You want to grow spiritually? You've got to watch the classics. Okay. Gone with the Wind, Ben-Hur, Andy Griffith. There was a particular Andy Griffith, and it's one of my two or three favorites. And uh, it's with the city, the town of Mayberry's Scrooge, the skin flint. His name is Ben Weaver. And... Uh, Andy and all of the gang, Barney and Aunt B and Opie and everybody, 
they're having Christmas there in the jail for a certain reason. And they're singing, they've got a tree, Andy's playing, Ellie is singing, Aunt B's putting out the food, and Ben Weaver is looking in the jail from the outside on the bars, looking in. And even though he's a skinflint, that he would give anything to get in that jail and to have Christmas. Because nobody loves him, nobody likes him. All he's got, he's Scrooge, he's got money, but he did not know what to do with it. And he's watching Christmas take place. And on one, and the, the scene, the way they shoot it is so good because they shoot him from the inside of the jail looking in the bars. It's ironic because normally you're on the inside trying to get out. He's on the outside trying to get in. He is a prisoner of himself and he is alien to God and he is alien to Christmas. But he's looking in and they shoot the scene from the inside of the jail and it's hard white light on Ben Weaver's face because it's the idea of the brightness of Christmas and the beauty of Christmas and the light of Christmas and the tree of Christmas that he's on the outside and you see it on his face looking in at what he can't enjoy. It's like a Norman Rockwell cover for the Saturday Evening Post. And A, Aunt B pours the eggnog and he goes like this. He would love to drink some eggnog. Barney comes out in his Santa outfit. <laughs> All 130 pounds of him. Ho, ho, ho! And Ben goes. And then they start just singing and they sing away in a manger. And you see him in harmony with Ellie and Andy. The little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head, singing like he sang when he was a kid. But he can't get in because he's dirty. And you know what happens? I ain't gonna tell you, you gotta go watch it, all right? <laughs> he gets in, all right? Because Andy figures it out. He figures it out. You think you can't come through the front door, but you can. And so here's another guy. You remember Jesus going through Jericho? Everybody wants to see him. And there's a little guy that wants to see him, but he can't because he's an IRS agent. The word Zakai means righteousness. His name is Zacchaeus. He's a play on words and he can't get in. So he's got to climb up in the fig tree, the mulberry tree. And Jesus stops and looks up and calls him by name. Zacchaeus, hurry, come down. Today, me and you, we're going to eat together. Now, why didn't the crowd let him in? Because this was Zacchaeus. That's altogether different. We don't like him. And so we've all known people like this. Listen, when I get to heaven, I'm going to be in the end section. Okay. Nelson. You know who's right down the street from me? Y'all remember Manuel Noriega? He got led to Christ by a Baptist preacher from McKinney, Texas. Thank you, Baptist. Because I'm going to go out on different mornings there in heaven. My coffee. And there's Manuel down here. I got a... Uh, you know, Central American dictator. Is that okay with y'all? Well, that's, that's going to be heaven. There's going to be some people looking down there at you. Is that Doug Barber? <laughs> well, in verse 41, for every verb of the leper, you've got a verb of Jesus. You dig? It's a homiletical device. He comes, Christ meets him. For everything he says that makes him withdraw, Christ advances to him. 41, moved with, what's your Bible say? Could the word compassion with pain 
It's a word, splanknon, that means the bowels. His bowels are touched. Something moves him. When I was a kid, I guess I was pre-elementary. I can still remember this. Me and my family are driving out in East Waco. And the road that goes up to Aquila, Hillsborough, and whatever, I can still see it. We're pulling out. It's a hot August day. And I was a little bitty guy. And I looked over and I saw on the access road, there was this scroungy little dog that was walking along the access road with people whooping by and had her, looked like a girl dog. I just imagined it as a girl dog, had her head down and was just moving real slow, scrawny, looking for what she couldn't find. And I remember as a kid, I can still see it in living color, my bowels were turned when I saw it. And I remember the thought of seeing that dog that nobody cared about that dog. And there was no hope for that dog. And the thought went through my mind. I can still remember that thought. I can't remember who wrote this gospel. Because <laughs> COVID doesn't go back that far. But I remember this thought. I can never be happy again. That's what went through my mind. I can never be happy again by knowing what that dog was going through. That's being moved with compassion. Jesus saw him and went, oh, oh. And then in verse 41, he uh, didn't just feel compassion. He is moved viscerally to do something. One time when we were watching years and years and years ago, you remember that Sally Struthers would do the commercial for uh, Feed the Children? And it was pathos, pain. It was pathetic when you would see them. And we were watching this about these children starving. And John Clark, my son, he was a little bitty fellow. And he just, it just comes out of him. What are we going to do? And uh, Benjamin said, you know, I'm not sure. I'm out of here. But Teresa, she said, well, what do you want to do? He said, we got to give something. So we had a jar, a feed the children jar, just because he said, we got to do something. Jesus said, I got to do something. Notice what he does in verse 41. He stretched out his hand. Until now, no one has touched that leper. The leper didn't say, touch me, because the law says you can't touch him. Jesus, this is the first time you see him touch somebody as far as a heal, healing a person. He re, he, did he have to touch him? No. Jesus can heal from a distance, but he reaches across that chasm and that leper must watch his hand. Is he really going to touch me? And will I infect him? He reaches across because you don't touch the leper. He reaches across. He touches him. Verse 41, touches. He doesn't grab him, doesn't hug him, doesn't lay hands on him, doesn't pray for him. He just touches and it's like a connection of God and the unholy. It's imputation. He that knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He that knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. It's the great transference. And so... He just said in verse 41, I am willing. It's not a question of your power. It is just a question of your will. You, this leper understood what nobody else understood. It's not a question of your power. You can do this. Only God can heal the leper. Am I God? You can do it. It's just whether you love me. 
How many times in the Bible do you ever see a human refused by God? Zero, not one. Isn't that amazing? He touched him. I am willing. You're clean. Well, in verse 42, what's your first word? Immediately. Immediately. She's 42 times in the gospel of Mark. Immediately. The same word used for Simon Peter's mama is used right here. There is no difference. I healed her and I can heal you. Immediately. And so one can only imagine what this looked like immediately. Think about it. All the other healings you took by faith because you couldn't see them. Can you see this one? Oh, baby. I would have loved to have seen it. When that leprosy all of a sudden goes in reverse and slowly and surely the eyes are restored. The hand is restored. There may have been fingers grow back and everyone is watching this with utter amazement. Immediately. It goes like this. You remember who wrote Amazing Grace? John Newton was a slave trader. He enslaved people. And he got saved. And he wrote, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And he said, Tis grace that taught my heart to fear. And grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. You don't have to get saved and then hustle and keep drawing upon God's grace till you die and go to purgatory and burn your way out. Is that belief out there? Yeah, it's ridiculous how, how quickly did that grace appear. The hour I first believed, as soon as I'm saved. And the Ethiopian went on his way rejoicing. What keeps me from being baptized? Nothing. There's water. Down he goes. And Philip is raptured away. And he went on his way rejoicing. All he needed was God. And that's who he had. And so beyond, beyond that illustrative purpose, I want you to know, if you're one of these guys doubting as to whether God can take you, uh, grammatically and literarily speaking, God can't go any further with you than what he's done. He can't go any further. What keeps me from being baptized? Nothing. Baptized. Philip's gone on his way, happy. It's done. And so as soon as you believe, you are saved. Brother Saul, Ananias went to Saul of Tarsus. Remember that? I've got a guy over here. I want you to go get him. He's at a street called Straight in the house of Judas and he's praying. Saul of Tarsus, Ananias. Question, is this Saul of Tarsus? Yes, okay. Are you aware, God? I know you're omniscient, but are you aware of who this man is? He's on the way up here to put us in jail. And God said, yes, I know who he is. He's a... Uh, elect vessel who's going to be a missionary. Go baptize him. And he, Ananias looks at him and goes, brother Saul. And all of a sudden he proclaims Christ in the synagogue. God can't go further than that. Sorry, I need more proof. We can't do it as far as we can go. I'm telling you that God will receive you. You're saying to me, that's too good to be true. But it is. Don't try to find uh, a similitude because you can't. Don't try to compare it to anything. The closest you can compare it to is a parent's love for their child. Even when he's a rotten kid, bad girl, you love him. But you know what God had the audacity to say? Can a woman forget her nursing child or fail to have compassion upon them? These may forget, 
So God said, can a mama forget her kid? You bet they can all the time. But the will I not forget. I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. You're all I can see. That's too good to be true. Well, he gives a warning in verse 43. He warned him and immediately sent him away. And he said, see that you say nothing to anyone. Why is that? He doesn't want to be seen as meals on wheels. He doesn't want to be seen as an emergency clinic. He doesn't want to be seen as somebody that gives immediate help for temporal question. Did the leper have to die again sometime? Yes, he did. Does he gonna get sick again? Yes, he did. This is not why Christ came, is to give short-term physical relief to men's maladies. That's not the main reason. He came so that eternally we could be in heaven with him by our souls being cleansed and us brought into communion with God that can lead us through life. And so that's not the major reason. And so he says, I don't want you to go show people because I don't want verse 45 happening where I can't go publicly into a city because everybody wants a handout. Let me stop just a second. This is a great point. Jesus was not that excited about crowds. Are you with me? He's not that pumped about crowds if they're not a certain kind of crowd. Is it possible for a bunch of Christians all to congregate so they can all be happy and prosperous? Yeah, do you watch TV? They're out there. You can swing a dead cat and hit six churches like that. It's the American gospel. You know, whenever America became a voluntaristic Christian society, y'all know what that means? In Europe, uh, you always had the government covering you as a church. There was no separation between church and state. The government always paid for your pastor, paid for the seminary, and paid for your church. So you kicked in. Matter of fact, you were usually taxed by the government for your church. They still are some places. And we started a first that you never saw until the first century AD. It's called a voluntaristic church that the government is not gonna give us one iota of help. Hallelujah, amen, glory to God. I don't want their help. We are voluntaristic. We're run by our own personal devotion. Amen? That's the way we want it. Well, when that first happened, that was sponsored by a guy named Thomas Jefferson. That y'all are gonna sink or swim on your own. We're not gonna pay for you. Uh, and that was difficult for a lot of state churches. It was real difficult for Puritans, pilgrims. They felt that they wanted to be a Catholic Christendom that was now Protestant. And so whenever that started, a lot of guys said, Y'all better be careful, you Christians, because what's going to happen is that your church is going to be financially motivated. You with me? It means that your main concern is going to be getting crowds, getting hind ends in them chairs and wrenching that money out of them. Has that ever happened? All the time. And what you're going to do, and these were guys like de Tocqueville and a lot of them, what you're going to do if you don't watch it is you're going to start catering not to the need of man to be forgiven in his soul by an infinite personal God, but you're going to cater for Christians becoming successful and happy. And it happened. It happened. And so Jesus said, I don't want those crowds if they're all here for superficial reasons. The first word ever spoken about Christ, by Christ to one of his followers is in John 1. He turns to, to Andrew and um, John and he sees them following and he says to them, what do you seek? 
Isn't that good? Why are you here? Why are you following me? Well, I, I got a bunion. That's no good. Because I need a raise. Why are you following me? Because I'm 37 and I ain't married. Why are you following me? Him. My husband. Kill him. Why are you following me? No, we're not going to do that. John said, where are you staying? Jesus said, come and see. I want you and I want you for a long time. I got things I want to know. Well, come on. And so what I'd want you to do is 44, go to the priest. I want you to go to the leaders and tell the leaders the leper is cleansed. And they're going to say, I'll beg your pardon. Only Naaman gets cleansed by God. The leper is cleansed. You know what the, it says in verse 44, um, offer, um, go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded. Y'all know what Moses commanded? Here's what he commanded. Whenever the word leprosy in the Old Testament to strike is a skin disease. It's a broad idea. If, and so it could be psoriasis. It could be something, whatever. And you had to make sure it wasn't leprosy. Once you're seen, it's not leprosy. All right, then you would have a cleansing. Uh, if it developed into leprosy, that's quite another thing. And so his leprosy was gone. And so you had a cleansing to let everyone know that he could be brought into the community. And the, the sacrifice was, you took two doves and one dove you killed and you let you cut his throat and you let the blood drain out over flowing water. There was blood and water that would come out. And then you took a hyssop, bristles, and the blood and water, and you took the other dove and you sprinkled him. And then you let him fly away. Someone dies that someone can live. And they had performed that for no leper, just for psoriasis and whatever else you get. They had done that for 1,500 years but never for a leper. And now we do it. And so I want the leaders to see Messiah has come. Verse 45, he didn't do it. And as a result, the whole world showed up for a physical healing. What's the purpose of this text? Isn't that a good story? The purpose of this text is threefold. Everybody means anybody. So don't be offended at what walks in our back door. Don't be offended at who you can't bring to church. Anybody is everybody. Okay? Number two, everybody is everybody. You were the leper. You were the leper. Did you have a disease, sin? Was there any cure by man? Did it keep creeping on you and taking over more and more of your life? Was it immedicable and irremedial? You could, you could not stop it, and it would ultimately end in your death. You and I were the lepers, and God can receive you, and God can cleanse you. And then there's another point, that there is a response that you get from a healed person. Number one, in verse 45, they want to go tell everybody. I want you to know that this fellow healed me. The other, if you'll flip over to Mark chapter 12, just before Jesus goes into Jerusalem on the triumphal entry for his death. Like I say, Mark chapter 14, COVID, a lot of times. You know, it'll knock off four chapters. In Mark chapter 14, right before Jesus goes into the triumphal entry into Jerusalem and dies. Where is he? Verse three, while he was in Bethany, that's incidentally where Lazarus lives and Mary lives 
and Martha lives, that he is just raised from the dead? In verse three, where is he staying at? The home of Simon the leper. Now, we don't know if it's the same guy, but it's interesting that this leper did not know what it was to be in his home. Jesus healed him. He was simply known as Simon the leper, not Simon the son of or whatever. He was just Simon the leper. And Jesus healed him. And Simon said, Mikasa esukasa, what I have is yours because you healed me. Simon, do you know that there is an edict out, put out by the Pharisees from the Gospel of John chapter 11, that if anyone knows where Jesus is and harbors him, he will be excommunicated? John 11, did you know that, Simon? Yeah. Do you know you can be excommunicated? To which he would have said, oh, gee, like I ain't been there before. I've spent my life in excommunication. Yeah, when you get healed, you go tell people, and then you say to Jesus, Mikasa Sukas. Lazarus, incidentally, they were looking to kill Lazarus too, John 12 says. They wanted Lazarus dead because people were believing through him. He said, Lazarus, you and your sisters, come on here. And Jesus, get your little 12 dwarves. Bring them on in here too. Everybody, belly on up to the table. Mama, we got some guests. Because I am restored to my home. So what I have is yours. It's like the great Christian prophet, Jack Nicholson. <laughs> and that great Christian movie, Batman One. You remember that Bruce, no, not Bruce Wayne, Batman. He says to the Joker, I'm going to kill you. And the Joker says back, I've already died. It's very liberating. <laughs> you might die for your devotion. What's our response? I've already died. I died in Christ. I've been crucified with Christ. It's very liberating to be dead. I have nothing to lose. I have everything to gain. We're going to celebrate communion. The only problem is I have nothing to celebrate it with. Visit with your friends. <laughs> You'd think somebody from Oklahoma. Could be, hey, I did have something. My bad, Kendall. I can't see him. Is he at church? Okay, there he is. I'll use yours. Okay. There's a reason in the early church you would have uh, communion. You know what it was? They celebrated what was called agapes. They meant, it meant love feasts that you would just enjoy the fellowship of the body of Christ. And at the end of the meal, and what do you do at a church meal? You talk and you have fun, you lie. You just, am I, are you with me, Doug? <laughs> you just have a good time. And instead of just leaving, you had the Lord's Supper. Do this as oft as you will in memory of me. Somebody would stand, a leader of the church, and he would stop everybody. And he would, like, he would give a toast to the host. So that everybody understood themselves, there's no reason for me to be here outside of grace. Everybody understood everybody else. We're all here because of the same cup that they all understood they were to proclaim the Lord's death, that we're not gonna do this in secret. We're doing this for everybody to see. And you only eat with your friends. And so you had to check your heart. Am I right with God? If you do not wash your feet, you can't belly up to the table. What's mom always tell you when you come in the house? Wipe your feet. So you check your heart and then you have communion and proclaim the Lord's death. And the night he was betrayed, he took bread and said, this is my body. It obviously was not him. Otherwise he couldn't have held it in his hand. I want this to be a memorial. 
As soon as you think that eating something and drinking something brings forth a mechanical blessing, it's like having an anniversary and have your husband buy you some jewelry and then throw it at you and go outside. It's mechanical. It doesn't mean anything to him. As long as you think that communion, as Christendom thought for a thousand years, that the mechanical act adds to your standing, nothing could be more frigid to the saved heart than that notion. The deepest of all communion is when this is seen as a symbol. Now you got to go into your heart. You got to look at your heart. That's why you have anniversaries. As you stop and you remember when you could fit in a tux. Yeah. This is my body. Whoa. Do this as oft as you will in memory of me. And in the same way, he took the cup. And after blessing it, said, you know why he blessed it? He was sending a message. This is how you approach God. And the holy city, Revelation 22, how many streets are there in the city? One. One from man to God. It probably branches out, but there's one street, and that is the highway of holiness. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Go to the mountain that I shall tell you, Abraham, and there you will offer up thy son. I'll tell you the mountain. I'll tell you the place. And I'll tell you the sacrifice. There's no other way. He blessed it. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this as oft as you will in memory of me. For as often as you eat the bread and you drink the cup, you herald the death of God until he comes. Father in heaven, we thank you this Lord's day, this day before the Christmas, Christmas Advent. We thank you. Thank you for Christ. And thank you, Lord, that when we came to you, we came beseeching, we came kneeling, and we came only because somebody told us that you wouldn't kill us, you wouldn't consume us, that you would open wide your arms and you would take us in. And we didn't have to be like the woman who stands on the outside and wonders how you get invited. We didn't have to be Ben Weaver, longing for what others enjoyed. Thank you. We don't fully understand what you did. We never will. But we'll see you someday, unscathed, in Jesus' name. Amen.